Okay, we are going to be digging into the Word of God, so if you'd open your Bibles along with me, and we are in Leviticus chapter 8, starting with verse 30. Leviticus 8, starting with verse 30. Two announcements. We're going to be having uh, women's prayer between services in the large Sunday school room uh, today. We encourage all you ladies to attend. And also, uh, tomorrow, Monday, is adult dinner night out at the waterfront, starting at 6 p.m. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. And I know we had a a little glitch one place we had it for Tuesday, but uh, on the sheet it says Monday. But it's tomorrow at the waterfront at 6 p.m. if you want to sign up. We'd really appreciate that as well. And also, um, the men's and women's retreat are coming in September and October and I really believe the Lord's going to bless those retreats. And so I, I would encourage you ladies and you guys to sign up because we have to have a, a pretty good idea uh, how many are coming uh, shortly. So if you would sign up, I'd, I'd really appreciate it. And um, I think that's all the announcements that we have to make, so let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit and the way he is able to minister to us, to encourage us, and to draw us even closer to you. Lord, we pray for uh, Frank and his ministry at Remsen, and we pray that during the chapel service that many, many of those young people would come to know you and be born again, and their lives would be turned around. Keep them safe, Lord, from any injury and harm. And Father, I pray that you would uh, just bless all the ministries that are taking place today throughout the world, those churches, those bodies that are teaching and preaching Jesus Christ, that through their ministries, many might be saved and encouraged in you. And now come by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and just speak through me and minister your truth to this church, your family at Berean. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, you can uh, keep I and I in prayer, too, because um, I, I don't know if all of you know, but I... Three years ago, I started writing a book on Revelation, and the title of it is Revelation Simplified. And uh, Vi and I went away for three days last week to try to finish the final edit of it. And um, we got, what, halfway, three-quarters of the way through. And so be praying for us that we finish it and which publisher we decide to go with, help us with that. But the whole purpose of the book is to make the church, help the church understand it's not a book to fear. It's a book that is in chronological order. It's easy to read if you read it properly. And it's such hope for the believer. But I'll tell you what, it also lays down the condemnation that's going to come, the judgment of God that's going to come upon this world when he takes his church out. And that should motivate us to be soul winners, to share our faith with everyone we have opportunity to. Because judgment is coming. There's so many things happening in the world today. I don't know. It's, it's, it's almost too bad that um, 90% of all news is based on politics because we're not seeing what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, I don't know how many of you know that in, in Russia they had another possible uh, nuclear explosion. They were testing one of their missiles, and uh, you know the radiation levels have increased drastically, and they're playing it down. It sounds very much like Chernobyl. And uh, but it's a big deal that it took place. And also in London, did you know they had a blackout? I mean, a serious blackout. They lost everything. And uh, it, 
helps us realize that how easy it would be in, in our nation or in the world for everything to come to a screeching halt without electricity. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if we didn't have electricity and we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have all the satellite service, we'd be, in the, we'd be lost. We'd become so dependent upon these things. <coughs> and so, to me, it just motivates us to realize the ministry we have is the ministry of reconciliation, that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not only this group or not only that group, anyone. And so, consequently, we have that responsibility. And as we um, dig into this portion of Scripture, of course, it's talking about the priesthood, but I'm going to be comparing it, number one, to all of us as a royal priesthood, but I'm also going to be comparing part of it to that of a pastor's calling as well. And so um, we have to understand, as all believers, every one of us, we're called into the ministry of reconciliation. Every chance you have opportunity to share your faith, you're sharing the ministry of reconciliation. And what is the ministry of reconciliation? Man is separated from God. I mean, separated from God by sin. And yet, we are able to share a truth that enables man and God to come back into communion with one another. We call it salvation. That's our ministry. But also, the Lord has set aside pastors with the responsibility of tending flocks, feeding them the word of God and providing a safe place where they can come in and be ministered to. And the thing that we have to understand is the church was meant to be a safe place where people can come in. They don't shouldn't be coming into church feeling like they're being condemned or they're being judged or whatever. And that's why as believers, as a body of believers, we have to have that accepting attitude for anyone who comes in. Well, this sinner, well, hey, we're all sinners saved by grace. And anyone who comes in, they should find a safe place to hear the word of God broken open and to feel the love of, of a body of believers, this body. Now also, uh, this portion is about the calling and preparation for the priesthood. And in a similar way, men are set aside or called by God for pastoral ministry. And the thing we have to understand is that any man who's called into pastoral ministry has no question that he's been called and it's been proved over and over again. You know, a lot of people say, I've heard men say, well, I think I'm being called. I'm, I don't know. Maybe the Lord's calling me into. No, if you're called into the pastoral ministry, you're called. You know it. You have no doubt. And the Lord will prove it over and over again. I could tell you accounts that would blow your mind of how hard the Lord had to work knocking on, on my head. But anyway, you would know. And also, um, we don't have a priesthood today. But the callings of the pastor it is also a sacred calling. Why? Because he's called of the Lord. Pastor doesn't place himself into the ministry. He can't be educated into the ministry. It's the call of the Lord. And when the Lord calls someone into pastoral ministry, he doesn't always call. In fact, he usually doesn't call those that are the most holy and the most righteous and the most upright. Well, I can understand them being called into the ministry. Look at them. You know, in fact, we're going to read in First in Timothy, if you, if you would like to turn there, First Timothy, starting with uh, chapter 1, verse 12. And uh, Paul is writing uh, his letter to Timothy, and he's giving, giving a testimony about his own calling. Now, Paul doesn't start this off by saying, well, you know what? God called me because I was righteous and holy. God called me because I was just such a wonderful, perfect man. And so in First Timothy, 
chapter 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. He couldn't even do it on his own. The Lord enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He didn't put himself in. The Lord put him into the ministry because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Listen to this, verse 13. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus, uh, of our Lord, was exceedingly abundant um, with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that, Jesus, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Look at what Paul says. Of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy, that in me, first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern of those who are going to believe in, uh, in him for everlasting life. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm an example because people can look at me and say, he's saved? He's a believer? Well, if he's saved, anybody can get saved. That's what he's talking about here. And then in verse 17, I love this, his conclusion. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God uh, who alone is, is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful you know, ending he has to that point. So we have to understand that men are called into the pastoral ministry for the very purpose of feeding a flock the word of God and to shepherd them and to encourage them and to provide this safe environment to come and be ministered to and be nurtured in. But it doesn't mean that a man is called because he's so wonderful. That's a mistake. And I think the reason the Lord does this is so people can look at you and say, you know, wow, look what God has done. I remember, um, this is years ago, and um, our daughter Stacy was uh, going to, uh, she was thinking of applying to uh, Cortland, which is where I, I graduated from. And so I had taken there for an interview, and while we were being interviewed, uh, I went to the computer center there. They used to call it data processing back then. And I went to the computer center uh, because that's where I worked when I was going through college. I had a part-time job there. And I went down there, and my, the guy who was my boss, um, who you know was the head of operations of the actual running the computers, uh, John Hines, as a matter of fact, was his name. And um, we went down to meet him, and uh, Stacy was with me, and Don was looking at me. He was looking at me. Man. And I said, why? He said, this is so wild. You're a pastor. He said, I can't imagine you without a cigarette in one hand and a bottle of beer in the other. He said, I can't imagine that. And then when we were driving home, Stacy looked at me, and she said, Dad, I can't imagine you with a cigarette in one hand and a bottle of beer in the other. And the point being the change. And God can use that to minister to people because, you know, if you have some, some guy who's just absolutely perfect in every way and he's called into the ministry, you think, well, of course. But when you have someone who's a sinner called into the ministry, I mean, we're all sinners, but I mean, he is obvious to the world to be a sinner and he's called into the ministry, you're thinking, wow, God is gracious, gracious and merciful. And I think... That's what's being talked about here in that portion. Now, in Leviticus 8, starting with verse 30, 
Then, then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, uh, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. You know, just as Aaron had sons who also were automatically called into the ministry, every one of us, our sons are children of God. Every one of us, therefore, are called into the ministry as well. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 31. <coughs> Moses said to Aaron and his son, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration offering. As I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. What remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire. And you shall uh, not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you as he has done this day. So the Lord has, uh, has commanded to do to make atonement for you. Therefore, you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. <laughs> uh, for so I have, been, I have uh, been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Now, as the high priest uh, was sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice for atonement for sins, we have to understand that our high priest was sprinkled with his own blood as a sacrifice for not his own sin because he was sinless, but for all of our sin, for all time, for all eternity. One sacrifice for all. Jesus Christ doesn't die over and over again. He died once because he's alive. Therefore, his sacrifice is a living sacrifice, a continuous sacrifice. And that's the reason we as believers, we have such hope and such peace because our sin is taken from us as far as the east is from the west, and it's gone. It's permanently there. You know, the, the salvation is permanently there, that, and, and, his, and our sin is gone. And we're going to be talking about how sometimes sin starts creeping back in in, in a moment. But the realization is we have been cleansed from all sin once and for all. We have eternal life, and we're going to heaven. We're going to be with Jesus. And people say, well, how did he shed his blood? Well, in many ways. When he was praying over the sacrifice that he would be making on the cross, he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. The actual medical condition where capillaries close to the surface of the skin burst and the blood mixes with perspiration and it makes it look like you're sweating blood. And also they put a crown of thorns on his head. He bled. They beat him unmercifully with a whip. He bled. They nailed his hands and feet to a cross. He bled. Finally, they thrust a sword in his side. He bled. Jesus shed his blood. Innocent was he, but he shed it for you and I who were guilty. And what kind of love is that? It's a love we can't even understand. Now, in Hebrews 9, verses 12 through 15, it says, Now, with the blood of, or not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled, sprinkling the unclean 
sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressor under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Jesus Christ, he shed his blood for you and I. He paid the price. Now, one of the things that's interesting here, too, is the, the Aaron and his sons, the priests, the high priests and the other priests, they were to be separated for consecration from all the people at the door of the tabernacle for seven days. And we have to understand that seven is the number of perfection or completion. They needed to complete their consecration to the Lord. And in the same way, you and I, as a royal priesthood, according to Peter, we're a royal priesthood. We've been called and set aside, consecrated unto the Lord. Now, we need to have that same attitude. I mean, these priests were following just the old covenant. They really didn't have all the hope and the promises and the power of the Holy Spirit that we had. And yet they set themselves aside, consecrated to serve the Lord. And we have to be willing to do the same. Now, they could not enter. Think about that. They could not enter the holy place until the consecration was completed. They were at the door of the tabernacle. They didn't enter the holy place. They had to be consecrated before they could. In the same way, you and I are consecrated by the Holy Spirit, allowing us to enter into the holy place and be in the presence of the Lord. It's so much like our model of the tabernacle. If you haven't looked at this, these um, sheets here uh, tell all about the tabernacle and how it relates to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if you lift the, the top of the, uh, the, the sea cow skin, you can look inside and see the holy place and the holy of holies. It's kind of cool. So anyway, that's very similar to what we're talking about here. Now, it's interesting, too, as well as the priest being sprinkled uh, with blood, so were his garments. In other words, under the old covenant, the garments of the priest were sanctified in the same way, but only in a spiritual sense. It's true of the pastor's garments. But what are the pastor's garments we're talking about here? His study, the handling of the word, his preaching, and so forth. And that should be sanctified by the Lord. You know, I have a, a little study here. It's just a little office. And that's set apart for studying the Word of God. I don't go in there to hang out, to watch videos, to play music, or whatever. I go in there to study. That's why it's called a study. It's sanctified. And when I'm opening the Word of God, <coughs> I'm going through it in a very logical manner. We're, we're, we believe in the systematic expositional preaching, which means we cover every single word in the Bible. Because this is the Word of God. And so that's sanctified before the Lord. And my calling as your pastor is sanctified before the Lord. Sanctified means to be set apart to God for the purpose of ministry. Now, <clears throat> the fact that disobedience to his commands resulted in death testifies to the seriousness of handling the word of God. You ever think about that? That <clears throat> disobedience 
for the commands of God, he desires for all to be born again, to confess their sins and to be born again. So therefore, disobedience to the word of God is death. Anyone who is not born again, anyone who does not have Jesus, will die the second death. It's appointed to er, to unto every man once to die and then judgment. And if you're saved, if you're born again, the judgment is not guilty. You know, come with me, you know, and you're with God in heaven for eternity. But if you're not born again, then you're taken down to hell, waiting for the second death, the second judgment. And so we have to realize the importance of our ministry. I think sometimes, even as believers, we allow ourselves to almost have uh, a fairy tale attitude concerning heaven and hell and salvation and so forth. It's real. There is a real hell where there will be torment, never-ending torment for those who reject Jesus Christ. No one goes to hell because God sent them there. People go to hell because they rejected the promise of God. And his promise is for everyone. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a promise that is especially in the times we're living. You know, some of the things that I'm, I was sharing with you about what's happening in Russia, what's happening in Chernobyl, the things that are going on in the Middle East and, and in Israel. I mean, if, if you study the book of Revelation, you realize everything is coming to that point. I mean, many people say, like what, you know, Peter, you know, where is his coming ever since the fathers died? You know? And Peter says what they forget is that there's prophecy. What they forget is that with God, you know, one day is a thousand years. But we're coming to a place where the prophecies of Revelation are being fulfilled. And the reason we know it's different than other times in history is very simple. Israel's a nation. Israel's a nation. May 14th, 1948, they became a nation. And the very day they declared them a nation, they were attacked on every side by all their Arab neighbors. This small group of Jews just coming out of the Holocaust, defended their land, and drove all their enemies away. What an amazing fulfillment of prophecy. Because Israel had to be established. Why? Because Daniel makes it clear that in the end, the ministry, the last seven years of earth history, the ministry would go back into the hands of the Jews. You're going to have the 144,000 sealed Jews who are going to be you know, out preaching the word of God. You're going to be having, you know, the two witnesses preaching the word of God. You're even going to have an angel from heaven preaching the word of God. And so we have to realize that we're so quickly coming to that point. The rapture could happen any moment. It really could. And I hope it happens before we're through with this service. But the reality is the rapture should be not fearful to anyone who believes. Now, you might be thinking, but I don't know if I'm good enough. We're going to talk about that in a moment. That's a lie of Satan. No one's good enough. The only reason any of us are saved is by the grace and mercy of God. And if you're saved and you're born again and his Holy Spirit dwells within your heart, your cardia, your inner man, you're going to heaven. You have the seal and deposit of God. You're going to heaven. Now, you know, the thing is that when a a pastor teaches... He's sanctified by the Holy Spirit. When a pastor teaches, at least hopefully, I'm not up here just speaking in the flesh, speaking my own words, my own ideas, but I'm sanctified by the Spirit. 
I desire to teach and preach in such a way that God's intent and understanding of his word is, is given to you, that you can receive it. You know, it's so funny, if you talk to almost any pastor's wife, maybe not every Sunday, but uh, any pastor's wife, they'll say, I can't believe that's my husband up there. Vi has said that, Nikki has said that, because when a pastor's preaching, hopefully, anyway, he's under the anointing and the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. And so he's just God's instrument bringing the message of the word. Now, we have to understand, as it says here, disobedience, um, you know, to the word, um, disobedience to the commands of God, it ended in death. So it's a very serious thing. And that's why a pastor has a great responsibility in handling the word of God truthfully. Because it's so easy to get caught off here and there in every wind of doctrine. That's what scripture says. In the last days, there'll be all kinds of wind of doctrine going through the church, all kinds of crazy things. And that's one of the reasons that I stand so strongly. The Bible says we should anyway, but I stand so strongly in systematic expositional preaching. One of the problems we have with topical preaching is who chooses the topic? And what's the proof of that topic? You know, so much of it ends up being man-made. Then all of a sudden you have all these different crazy things coming into the church and all these aberrant doctrines coming into the church. Where did that come from? I don't see it in the word of God. It's topical preaching. You know, they go here and they go there. But the fact is, when you're doing exposi systematic expositional preaching, going right to the Bible, it's hard to have some kind of a crazy doctrine you're trying to introduce because you're going to, uh, you know, confuse yourself and you're going to prove yourself wrong as you continue going through Scripture. So you have to stand on what the Word of God says and on what the Word of God says alone. Uh, the fact that disobedience to this command, as I said, results in, in serious problems of, of handling the Word of God properly. This is why in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 through 18, it says this. Be diligent. And, and um, Timothy, First and Second Timothy and Titus, and along with um, you know, uh, a couple other epistles, are, are called pastoral epistles. The reason they're called pastoral epistles, they were written to pastors. They were written specifically to pastors to encourage them. In Second Timothy, pastoral epistle, uh, verses 15 through 18, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, the word of God, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. So Hymenus and Philetus, Philetus, they went out there, and they weren't standing on the word of God. They weren't preaching to the word of God. They had their own doctrine. They had their own idea. You know what? The, the rapture's already occurred. Rapture's already occurred. So we just have to stay here and occupy. We have to just stay here and do. And they, they, so they ended up introducing this false doctrine, and, and Paul is calling them out on it. And, and he's saying it is a serious error. And that's the reason that the pastor, the priest, has to be, the priest of the Old Testament has to be committed to the word of God. 
Now, it's also interesting in this portion that after the sin and burnt offering had been prepared on behalf of Aaron and his sons, the peace offering was offered. And it's one thing to be consecrated for service, but another to have peace with and in your calling. And uh, that's why in 2 Peter verses 1.10 it says, make your calling and election sure. We have to have peace with God. When we're called into the ministry, we have to have peace with God. Make your calling and election sure. And as I mentioned, we're all called into ministry. Maybe you have a ministry here or a ministry there. Make your calling and election sure and have peace with God. Because it's one thing to be consecrated for service, but it's another thing to find peace. Now, uh, there are no business hours for ministry. Did you know that? And that's the reason that they were there seven days and seven nights, the number of completion, the number of perfection. And so the priests of the Old Covenant, they didn't have business hours. They were on duty 24-7. And you, as a royal priesthood as believers, you're on duty 24-7. There's no business hours. I, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus, but I'm at work. <laughs> you know, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus, but I'm right in the middle of my golf swing. You know what I'm saying? There's no business hours. We are in the ministry 24-7 to share our faith, and that's important for us to know. But the one thing we have to understand, because we have these bodies of flesh, there are times that we need to stop and set aside, set ourselves aside and rest. Even Jesus did that. And oftentimes Satan will try to accuse you. You know, what are you doing? You lazy bum, what are you doing this for? You... Now, it's okay to have a time of rest. It's okay to go on a vacation. It's okay sometimes to steal away, like Jesus did, and just have, you know, rest before the Lord. Because life is pretty, pretty hectic, isn't it? Pretty difficult at times. And um, so often, as I said, one of the reasons we lose peace is because we feel guilty. That's one of Satan's greatest tactics is to make us feel guilty. And that's why we lose our peace. Oh, you call yourself a Christian. How could you have done that? You call, yeah, you're just a, huh? And Satan loves to do that. It's one of his greatest tricks. And next time Satan accuses you of, of sin and doing something wrong, agree with him. Scripture says agree with your adversary quickly. Agree, yeah, you're right. You know what, Satan, I am right. Jesus, he doesn't like that part. Jesus, forgive me. And the Lord does and sanctifies you and the devil flees. That's what scripture tells us. So we have to realize that even knowing our own inadequacies in ministering to other people, even though we know our own inadequacies, we know our own shortcomings, how easy is it for us to become angry and harsh with other people who don't agree or believe the way we do or, or who don't believe at all? Oh, we get so, we shouldn't. God is love and he has given us the ministry of love. And so consequently, our attitude should never be harsh and critical towards other people. Oh, my goodness, this husband, how could you do that? I mean, you have some churches, people walk into it, and they're like, what's going on here? And, and, and uh, I, I had someone talking to me uh, the other day, and they were kind of saying it in a bragging way. Yeah, people come into our church, and if they don't do this or that, or they don't dress this way or that way, the pastor just tells them, you don't belong here. Well, I don't agree. You know, maybe that's the way the, their, their church is working. But the reality is we're all saved by grace. And the church 
is a place where people could come in, feel safe, and hear the word of God. And hopefully, if they're not saved, they'll come back again and again until they are saved. But they need to feel comfortable, not ostracized while they're being ministered to. Now, if God has taken our iniquity from us as far as the east is from the west, then why do we try to hang on to some of these things? And you guys all know what I'm talking about. We all have areas of sin in our life that the Lord seems to have just given us complete 100% victory over. But then there are other areas of besetting sins that we seem to struggle with over and over and over. But here's the thing. Keep struggling. The minute you stop struggling with sin, your flesh and Satan will win, and they'll have the victory. We have to struggle against sin, even to the shedding of blood, Scripture says. And so too often, though, believers end up making excuses for their sin. I don't want to struggle with my sin anymore, so instead of confessing and repenting, I'm just going to make excuses for it and and try to justify why my sin is okay. There's a real problem with that. Number one, your sin isn't being atoned for. And number two, you're really uh, putting a stumbling block before others who are saying, well, look at them. I guess maybe that sin isn't that bad. So we have to realize that the, uh, the sacrifice of confession and repentance never ceases and never grows old. And so, well, how can I confess and ask God's forgiveness for that sin? I've done it so many times. Well, keep doing it. Keep confessing. Keep repenting. Keep confessing. Keep repenting. And there are those sins that you struggle with, and you'll, you'll have the victory. I remember I used to tell people, it's easy to quit smoking. I, I quit every Monday. And, uh, and the, the point was, then I'd get back into it. And then I'd cry over it, and I'd confess it to the Lord. And then I'd fall back into smoking, and I'd cry over it and confess it to the Lord. And then there was that one day that I quit smoking and never smoked again. That's the reason you struggle with sin. It's like with anything. You struggle, you struggle, you struggle, and you have the victory. And then... In verses 31 through 36, Moses, having done his part, uh, you know, as far as the ceremony of consecration was concerned, now he leaves Aaron and his son to do their part. And so we have to understand now that Jesus Christ did his part in sanctifying us, in consecrating us all into the ministry as a royal priesthood, now it's time for us to do our part. And we can't have any business hours. Well, you know, I'll, I'll just say, we are Christ's ambassadors everywhere we go, everywhere we go. Here's the interesting thing. Sometimes you have a, an actual mission to, to lead someone to Christ or to take salvation to this group, and it just seems to fall flat. And then other times you have no mission at all. You're not even thinking what's going on. And you get into a conversation with someone, and you lead them to the Lord. It's just amazing how God works. Sometimes when we're on our mission, he uses us, and sometimes when we're just, he uses us as well. But the fact is, God has commissioned us. We're on duty 24-7. And you know what? If, you wanna, 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 if you're thinking, when am I ever going to get a chance to rest? Soon, very soon. Jesus is coming, and then you're going to be standing before the throne. I mean, Read about the multitudes from every nation, tribe, and language standing before the throne of God when the rapture takes place. Just praising the Lord. 
you know, it's going to be absolutely unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. If you think worship, any place you have ever been, if you think worship is wonderful, it won't even compare to the worship here. Because for me especially, number one, I'll be able to sing unclean, and I'll know the words. <laughs> I won't get the lyrics backwards. So what a beautiful time it's going to be when we all get together. What a glorious day to be. And so understand, when you read the Old Covenant like this, it's simply a preparation for the coming of the New Covenant. When Jesus Christ has consecrated and sanctified each one of us as believers to, to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I really pray you would take that commission seriously. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word and for your truth. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would use the ministry of your word to encourage everyone here this morning and, and sanctify them and set them apart, Lord, to do your work. And so, Father, we pray and ask all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends. Women's prayer time, coffee hour downstairs.